Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. We've been talking about unleashing these kinds of things in our relationships. Relationships God's way. We started off with the first big commodity needed to do relationships God's way is grace. Grace is that incredible factor that always is there for challenge, for growth, for healing. It brings about the WD-40 needed to make things work smooth and keep it moving forward. It's an amazing thing in our life personally, and it's amazing in relationships. And so it's an absolute fundamental necessity. In fact, the number one reason why many relationships today fail, you would think it's because, well, it's just, I remember years ago they did this thing, uh, interview style of, of why marriages fail and they interview people. And it came down to things like, well, you know, they never helped me with the house. Or, you know, they, they, they were, they, they never, actually it came down to some really silly things. They never helped, you know, uh, in, the, in the sense of, uh, of finances. Or they didn't help me in, there, it came down to things that you would think, this destroyed your relationship. Well, that isn't actually what destroyed the relationship. That's law. And law is something that pays attention to crossing the T's, dotting the I's, and this is exactly how it's going to be done. And you will fulfill the law of, re- of relationship. Uh, not love, but law, performance-oriented, and thereby we'll have a good one. Never works, never has worked, never will work, can't work, it's impossible. Because we're flawed. Because as human beings, we do not have the capacity to function at those levels with each other. We will fail one another. You can change names, places, faces. You can change times. You can change all kinds of things. But it will not change that every relationship, for it to function well, needs huge doses of grace. In fact, it must be the fundamental. The next thing we talked about was the value of the soul as set by God. The idea that you've got to remember that you're not just married to a person, you're married to an eternal soul created by God. You are married to them. You have children. These are not just your children. These are the eternal souls that God has put within your home. This is something far bigger than that, and it helps us set value. Uh, we, we don't, you know, our value goes up and down with people's performance all, you know, around us. And all of a sudden, we get so many challenges, and just that day, you get one too many. And the value of that person allows you to act or talk or disrespect or devalue in ways you never really feel good about about. That kind of thing means you're disconnected from the created order of God. Relationships. How does God have a relationship with us? A perfect God, imperfect beings. It's by grace. And because we are created in his image, our value was worth his son. And so those are two fundamentals that were necessary. The third we talked about was last week, and it had to do with every Every experience we go through has uh, this component of limitation put upon us. Containment models, I called them. Where you can go through these experiences and if you let those experiences generate the wrong things, 
uh, that becomes a containment model for you. And it can even be when you go through successful things because you can grow in ease. We all have these containment models and so relationships don't grow. Relationships lose their adventure. Relationships uh, don't keep diving deeper and things start getting stale. Um, we drift away from family. We, we move to other venues and we disconnect. This is quite often the case in human relationships in our modern age. The number one thing that people really want in their relationship is connections. But they'd want them at low cost. And that doesn't happen. It's not possible. It's got to be through your all-in and you're not going to allow the things, I want comfort. That's it. That's, that's a containment model. I want comfort. I want it to have it my way uh, more. That kind of thing is going to contain the relationship. And you got to bust out of that and be aware that that's happening. Now, today, the word joy. I, the, the title I have put on today is Unleashing, Unleashing the Beauty. The Beauty. It's the beauty of life. It's the beauty of relationships that keeps drawing us back into them, even when we've had uh, very destructive patterns. There, there, is, there is not people really that exist that say, I'm never going to link up again. If they do, they're going to be rare, far between, extremely damaged, and don't marry them. The idea of relationships has to come from this beauty that God put in us. We were made for them because we were made for him. Not in a lawful way, but in a grace-based relationship way. A way in which God said, I'm wiring you for a relationship. This is your core wiring. You cannot move against this. You're going to have some flaws. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do this kind of deal, but I want to tell you that you can't change your wiring. We try. I'll never fall in love again. I'm not going to even try. You know, all these kinds of songs and media items of, I'm never going to do this again. What? Those are, those, are, that, those are complete fabrications. And they're also completely opposed to your wiring. You will do it again. I promise you. I promise you that you will find a friend again. I promise you that you will desire deep relationships again. I promise you that you cannot escape that wiring. It's not possible. It's not possible. You can isolate as much as you want, but your heart has been wired for him and for others. And so I want to talk about how do you unleash then this kind of beauty in relationships where we're not always fighting our wiring, but we are learning how to unleash it. Now, the word joy is really important. I want to use it illustratively today. There are parts of the Bible that tell us that joy is our strength. Uh, it's out of the book of Nehemiah. He's saying, you know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you've got joy and the Lord is the source of that, that is strength. So much of the Bible, when it talks about joy, combines it with strength. I'm just going to do a little thing on here and we're going to put you have really a north and south pole of, of joy if I make the north pole God in that scripture it's talking about the Lord if I make the south pole over here uh, I'm going to put in just simply like created model so this is all kinds of things that God 
has created around us. And even in a fallen state, the world is in a fallen state. So creation's in a fallen state. We have uh, actually entropy, the law of entropy at rule in creation. And so things are winding down, not winding up. It's not in a perfect state. It's in a functional state. And so what we've got is these created things. It's like, you know, you're driving, you see Mount Robson, and uh, it's on a nice clear blue sky day, and you just really enjoy it. Uh, a couple of years ago, we're driving down to um, where we go, uh, Merrill Lake, for usually at the end of June, early July. And I have my granddaughter and my grandson with me, my granddaughters uh, in the back seat of the truck. And we come past Mount Robs and it's crystal blue sky. And I just saw this the other night because Linda and I, on Friday night, took a couple hours actually and went back through, oh, a couple years of pictures that I just threw on the screen from the computer. And um, uh, by the way, it, we celebrated 44 years on Friday. Thirty-nine of them are a tribute to Linda. <laughs> the other five, I had a little play. The fact is, is as we're driving in here, I, I had them, and I wanted to get pictures of that. Of course, I'm driving, so uh, I told Grace here, just take the camera, point it back through the back window, and take a few shots. So just the other night, we're going through, and we came to that part of that trip, and all of a sudden, there's like 25 pictures. <laughs> of Mount Robson, you know, I, I got to see the, the truck coming the opposite way 20 times as he just gets a little further down the road behind us. Uh, she was obviously captured with the beauty of that, right? And it was really an incredible picture. It's one of those ones that is, is this real? Sometimes we feel that way about things in life, don't we? This is too good to be true. This is beautiful moment. I mean, this is beauty in our, this moment that we're sharing. Is this just too good to be true? And then we try to hang on to that moment, and aren't they ever elusive, eh? In fact, the more that you're aware that you want to hang on to it, it seems the faster it goes. You try to hold it, and you can't hold it. It's a moment in time. Joy, uh, God wired joy into his creation, and even in a fallen state, there was joy in creation. You can walk out and see the beautiful night sky. You can experience it in the wonder around you. The problem with that kind of experience is that you cannot hold those experiences, and there are other things that get between you and that experience really, really quickly, like storms or just cloudy, cloudy days. And you don't see all of the beauty that may be around you. Now, where do we put you in this? Because we're talking about joy. Let's just put you right in the middle here, all right? I'll do my stick person again. So let's put you in the middle. And you see, for joy to really function in our life, the source is what counts. Now, everybody, every one of us have connection this way directly. You can't escape creation. You're sitting in it, you walk in it, you breathe it, you swim in it, it's all around you. You and I experience creation. And it's great, it's fantastic. It's also uh, something that can be quite dangerous. It's something that is, is unpredictable. Uh, creation is something that uh, doesn't always have the same hit. You've got to move on from that experience and keep it moving. Uh, all about this has these 
built-in limitations within it because they were never meant to be the full revelation. They were only meant to give you a little picture. And then what's behind it? The Joseph video, he's looking at the son's little you know, hypothetical writing that's just kind of saying, Joseph, did you have this moment where he recognizes this is the Messiah? I mean, you are my joy. More than just from being the one that I get to raise. You're my joy because you're the Messiah. In that moment of joy, the focus is shifting. And that's a moment that we can learn about joy that comes from a different source. And that is a source obviously out over here directly from relationship with God. Directly. Not through creation. It's relational. Higher law. It doesn't change. This relationship with God is the key to joy. Now here's what happens in life though and in, relation, in your relational world. You go through hits, you go through problems and even when you're connected to God, all of a sudden other things start to creep in and take hold of this view and shade the view towards God and you're trusting him less. Your fears are going up. Your anxieties are taking control. All of those take away the beauty of what the relational world is supposed to be. With your kids, with your siblings, with your extended family, certainly in your marriage relationships. Once this process here is not, can we say, clear and strong and the relational side of it is going down, we usually are reaching over here to try and replenish, increase these little adventures, take another trip, take another walk. It's all got good in it. It's never enough. You, your joy's gonna go up and down like a yo-yo over here. Even though he's built it into these moments, they were only frames for the real deal. Even when you're enjoying this, if that connection with God is not there, this is so much less. When we talk about this today, unleashing beauty, you got to decide every time in life, which pole am I going to draw from when it comes to joy? There's a story about a relational, uh, can we say, hiccup in the Old Testament. I'm going to relate to you very quickly. And it's found in Genesis 13, 8 through 13. And it's about Abram and Lot. You all know the name Abraham. Lot is his nephew. He's been along for the ride from day one with Abraham. Let me just read this one little section. Abraham said to Lot, let's not have disputes between me and you and between our herders since we are relatives. Now just park it there for a sec. He's, what's happened is they're both blessed. Abraham has got this, God is so blessed him it's crazy. His flocks are going up and all this. Now Lot also, he's in the tailspin of this. He's picking up the blessings also because of his connection with Abraham. 
as he picked up these blessings, they've started to grow and great herds now, and they're having, their, their workers are colliding. So Abraham says, isn't the whole land in front of you? Uh, let's separate. If you go north, I'll go south. And if you go south, I will go north. Lot looked up and saw the entire Jordan Valley. This was the best place. All of it was well irrigated like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as far as Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So, let, so Lot chose for himself the entire Jordan Valley. Lot set out toward the east and they separated from each other. You go north, I go south. You go east, I go west. There came a time in their relationship that there had to be some boundaries and some things put in. Abram took this approach. Lot, look, you choose first, whatever you want. Wherever you go, I'll go the opposite, but you just choose first, okay, man? He did. He, he, he had no problem doing that. He even chose and he said, I'm going to take the best. And he did take the best. The problem with the best in this case is that that's where Sodom and Gomorrah and these cities that had grown so evil were. Abram settled in the land of Canaan and Lot settled near the cities of the valley and pitched his tent close to Sodom. And the citizens, the citizens of Sodom were very evil and sinful against the Lord. It's an interesting scripture. This particular division that takes place was more boundaries. The relationship could have stayed in very fine quarters yet. It was a practical boundary. It was a boundary that said, in all practicality, we need to have these boundaries. And because, you know, we're just in too tight a space here. There are those good boundaries that need to be in all relationships. But then there are some things that destroy the joy of what could be. Lot shows us what those things are. Now, I just want to finish off the story. It goes, comes, I have to jump ahead a few chapters, and what happens is that Lot goes, he pitches his tent right towards Sodom, and the next time we read about Lot, he's in Sodom. He's right in the city. He's still maintaining a righteous position himself, but he's lost his family to unrighteousness. He has, he, he has put himself into a place where he may have retained his own righteousness, but he's lost his witness, his influence. And then there's some cities, that kings that come together, come against those kings of the valley and de defeat them, and they take them, and they capture Lot and his family also. And they're going back to their, to their countries. And guess who comes to Lot's rescue? Abraham. He gets all of his guys together, I think there are 338 of them. He gets them all together and they go and they attack these, these kings that had come in and he rescues Lot and his family. So what does Lot do? Does he say, oh man, I have so drifted away from my relationship with God and I have drifted from good relationships that function well out of this like Abram. What does he do? No, he just goes right back into Sodom. And the next time, he has to be rescued by angelic presence from Sodom before destruction comes. 
and he loses a lot, including his wife in that one. What is it about a guy like Lot? Well, I want to give you three things, and this is what you've got to watch. They're going to kill joy in relationship. And the first is selfishness. He showed a very selfish view of his world. The lens he looked through was about only his own benefit. You take relationships and you surrender them to that lens. I promise you, you have a death now underway. It may take years. It may take decades, but you're killing it. Because you're stealing joy and you're not producing joy. So that lens of selfishness ruled in this guy. It says in the scriptures in James 4, 1 and 2, where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires for pleasure which are constantly fighting within you. You want things, but you cannot have them, so you are ready to kill. You strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. You're going here. Selfishness is something that's very destructive. That is a lens. Think of it as a lens. It's how you see everything and how it plays around you. And you might, you might fight against it at times and you might look pretty noble at times, but if the dominant lens in your relational world is selfishness, joy is not really growing or strong or maybe not even there. You know that most relationships suffer from joyless situations and issues in their life and then they start moving towards what they think is going to fill those gaps. They become interested in other forms of relationship. That things take a, a, a stronger hold of their life. Everything's strengthening up its hold on their life. But they can't get away from the core wiring they're made for this kind of relationship. And next is resentment. We find this in the story of Lot because Lot, he's really, he is, is looking at this, he's not willing to humble himself and say, wow, I really made some bad errors in judgment here. Abraham, you and I need to reconnect. I need to move a little further away from Sodom and we need to reconnect. I gotta get out of this place. You would think we'd be really quick to get out of the places that are wrecking our family, stealing our joys, wrecking relationships. And yet that's not the case. In many cases, it's just something that we just look at as, no, I just don't want to pay that cost. Resentment in life is like a bitter root. Listen to Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Bitterness and resentment are the kind of thing where joy and them cannot exist together. You cannot be filled with bitterness and man, am I filled with joy. Doesn't work. They just can't work together because they attack each other. Joy will attack your resentment. It will say this has to go. Another one is Proverbs eleven twenty nine. The fool who provokes his family to anger and resentment will finally have nothing worthwhile left. Another one. 
that is kill joy is fear. Anxious hearts it's, are very heavy, it says, but a word of encouragement does wonders in Proverbs 12, 25. Anxious hearts. An anxious heart is a fearful heart, is, is one that has, has all of the negatives involved. And the closer that if you move to God, you will have less fear. Fear not for today, tonight, this very night, born to you is a savior. Fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. And yet fear is very present in our relationships and somehow we wonder why we're not enjoying them or what, where's the joy? So let's talk about what sources beauty. What is it that sources beauty in relationships and brings about joy? These are not rocket science things. They're biblical, they work, and they're strong. Giving rather than receiving. Put that into a relationship. Make it your day. Make it the next hour. I promise you if you did that even for the next hour, giving versus receiving, when you leave this place, you took one hour of this hour, I'm giving more than receiving in this relationship. No matter what you choose. As you do that, I promise you this, joy goes up. It will go up. It says in verse 35 of Acts 20, in everything I did, I, I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You've been in there where you have been a part of blessing somebody, you've given and you've seen the change that you've effected. The joy of that, the, to hear the word, the joy of that cannot be found on the receiving side. I'm not saying it's wrong to receive. That's, that, that's crazy. Of course it's good to receive. And there's a joy in receiving. But he's saying it is, it, the greater joy is rather in the giving. Now in a relationship where that balance is out of whack and there's your way over on the receiving end and here's how you know you're on the receiving end. You are focused on what they're not giving. They're not giving me enough attention. They're not giving me enough respect. They're not giving me a, enough fill in the blank. When you're focused on what they're not giving, you have a great imbalance. There's no joy in it. So how do you do it? Do what the scriptures say. Focus on the giving. And once you do that, you're gonna find the joy is gonna fill your heart. In verse 7 of 2 Peter 1.7, it says, this will make possible the next step, which is for you to enjoy other people and to like them. And finally, you will grow to love them deeply. He's talking about giving here. It's a hard thing at times when we don't feel like we've been treated right, where we feel the injustice, or we feel that we've got a case against, or we feel that this is, this is just the way it's always been. Look, it's still the way back is your giving. What needs to be given? Another source of bringing beauty out is not just restoring giving, 
but restoring healing rather than hurting. I don't mean that you go and you hurt. I mean what you do. I'm just saying, I want to focus on the fact of that it is hurting. Your relationship is hurting. And you're wondering, what can I do? You must focus on healing, not the hurting. You focus on the hurting, and that's only going to drive you into a different place than joy will meet you. It says in Colossians 3.13, make allowance I used to think that as a kid. I quoted that to my mom and dad once. See, it's in the Bible. You have to give allowance. Didn't work. Make allowance for each other's. Faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. What's he saying? Focus on healing. Make allowance for each other's faults. You're not doing that when you focus on the hurting. Focus on the healing. And you say, does that mean I ignore the hurting? No. It means now by focusing on healing, you're going to do the right things with the hurting. When you focus on the hurting, there's no answer in it. When you focus on the healing, hurting is going to be dealt with through the lens of healing. I'm focused on the healing. I'm focused on the healing of this. Not the hurting. You know, this is rare. This is rare air here. Most of us are going to focus on the hurting, what they did to us or are doing to us or have done to us. And we are going to focus on the hurting part of it. And somehow, I don't know what it is, but it just sucks us into it. It'll suck you dry in joy. Instead, the Bible teaches us we are to focus on the healing. Jesus went to the cross because of what it would do. He focused on the healing. You focus on the healing. And in doing that, you'll take the right approach towards the hurting that is in your heart and in theirs. Here's another one that must be restored. Giving rather than receiving, healing rather than hurting. And if you want to really restore this kind of joy relationship, God's power rather than my problem. Back to this. The more your focus looks this way, the more you're going to enjoy this. The more your focus looks here, it dead ends here. It doesn't come back here. The more you focus here. The more I lean on this as my joy model, this is where I'm going to get my joys over here. That is when I know that I am not going to have a return back over here and this will be a diminishing value. But the moment that our eyes go this way and we're doing things like giving rather than receiving, even when we don't like that they're not giving, when we focus really on healing rather than just the hurting, then we are in a position where the hurting can be dealt with with the correct lens and healing will be in charge of the hurt. Get healing in charge of the hurt. But then we have to focus on God's power and not not the problem. 
And the more that you're not focused here, you're not focused on God's power, you're focused on the problem. Because over here, this is where there's all kinds of cyclical problems that you don't have the power to deal with. That's the con job. I can handle this, I can deal with this, I can do that. No, the more that you're focused this direction, the less of God's power can be involved in what you're doing because it's all about you and your power. You're cutting him really out of the mix. And we do this in relationships often because we get caught into, first off, we are focused on, we're not receiving, we're focused on, we're hurting, and now we're focused on the problems big time. You know, it's, it's okay to be aware of problems, to dissect them even, but what is the purpose of all of that? That you might actually find the solutions, find the strength, find what is needed to advance life in the face of the problems. You can't build problem-free relationships. That is another con job. Or if your relationships have problems that you think it's failing. No, it's failing because you're leaning on your own power. You need God's power to give rather than receive. You need God's power to focus through the lens of healing that you're hurting. You need God's power to solve the problems, be a part of the solution, be a part of the change. Psalm 62, 8 says, Oh, my people, trust him all the time. Pour out your longings before him, for he can help. But you see the word trust? All the time? Let's apply that. Okay, let's say this person takes that scripture and says, I'm doing it. Where are they going? Where's their direction? Trust him all the time with deficits in giving and receiving, with deficits in hurting and healing. So where does the focus go? Well, it's going here. You know it. And the more that you drive it this way, with trust, trust is the engine, it's the fuel, it's the thing that says, I'm going this way, I'm trusting. And every step I take, this is going to make less sense. That I should focus on giving rather than receiving. I should focus on healing rather than hurting. I should focus on him and his power more than the problem. And I'm feeling like that just, just looks weirder and weirder the more I trust and go out here. That's why it takes trust. You trust. You trust God's power rather than your problem. Verse 4 of Philippians 4 4 says, Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. More or less, he excludes all of this thing that, oh, the problems are so big, I have to set joy aside. I can't rejoice in my life anymore. There's nothing in my life that I can take any kind of source of joy. You're misunderstanding, first off. Joy is really showing up when the circumstances don't match. You don't need strength that everything is happy, 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 happy. You're having a good, happy moment. Joy is really showing up, and you know it's joy. It's more pure in its sense of when those happy moments aren't so good. And he says, I am ex I'm taking away the excuse. I'm saying, always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. He emphasizes it. He's saying, guys, look, it's rough out there. 
Hey guys, it's, there's some big challenges. You read Philippians. We're going through some stuff. But isn't it fantastic that we can rejoice and be full of joy in the Lord? Because everything here can seem like it's falling apart, which it may be. But my whole focus is going here. And out of this, I get the joy, the strength to come back over here and work in restoration, renewal, healing, hope, health. So what secures the beauty of joy? Let me give these three things to you very quickly. Trusting these three things. Because you trust is a commodity. You don't have to trust going this way. You have to trust going this way. So trust is the fuel that takes you to this pole for joy. The more you trust, the higher your joy. Here's the three things that secure this beauty of joy in our life. First, God is with me. All of this can be falling apart, but God is with me. I trust it. I trust he is with me. So Isaiah 43, 2, when you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. When you pass through fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. He's saying when this is falling apart and the created order of relationships isn't working so good over here, sin has had its way and there's all kinds of challenges that seem like it's wild horses out of the gate. You trust me. Focus over here. And I promise you, you'll not be overwhelmed. I'm going to carry you through this. I am with you. I am with you. The second thing that you need to trust is that God has a plan for me. Sounds simple. But it's, it's really earth-shattering. You see, this side of the equation doesn't have a plan for you. All the things on this side does not have a plan for you. Whatever you're selling your life out for over here, whatever is the number one component over here, does not have a plan for you. There is no plan. And if there is no plan, there is no purpose. God has a plan for you. We can miss those two words. For you. Even in our troubles then, I can be assured if God is with me, then God also has a plan. There is purpose. There is meaning. And if those things exist, joy, strength is mine. 14 and 15 of, of uh, Psalm 50 says this. What I want from you is your true thanks. I want your promises fulfilled. I want you to trust me in your times of trouble so I can rescue you and you can give me glory. Well, that's good. You know that God has a plan even for rescue. So he gets glory. So he said, I want you to trust me in your times of trouble. What's he saying that for? This is going to be shouting. It's going to be the loud voice in the room. It is really going to be loud over here. It is going to be obnoxiously loud over there. And all of your attention, your being can easily go down that trail. But I'm telling you to trust me and come this direction. 
because I got a plan. And there's rescue in me so that you can actually give glory to me. And lastly, God is helping me. He's helping me. When you think about that, you're not alone in whatever the struggle is that this side is always going to be bringing to you. You are not just you and this and I got to find a way and if there's no way, I got to run and hide. I got to dig a hole deep enough. I got to climb high enough. I got to get away from this thing. I got to change it up. I got to change name, address, face. I got to do all this. I got to get it all, all over and it's done. No, no, just don't make that your first moves. Why won't you give them a chance relationally because that's really the decision you're making why not give God a real shot at this because it's only him that can really unleash beauty that you are intended to experience in relationships it's him that brings it about now the more that you allow these other things to remain resentments you allow that to stay, fears. You allow that to stay. You, when you're allowing those things, those things are directly inhibiting the one path of joy that source never, ever fails. Strength in the midst of the worst of challenges and storms. It's found here. Relationships find their beauty when you're trusting God in the midst of the challenges and the problems that come your way. And that's why that clip about Joseph with Jesus where he's saying, you are my joy, but not just my joy. Oh my gosh, you're my joy because you're my savior. You're my Messiah. Angels appear to the shepherds. Joy to the world. Why? Is the world all of a sudden gotten rid of all the hurting? Joy to you. Why? Because there's no more problems. No. Because this night is born to you. Savior who's Christ the Lord that's amazing it's crazy good news and it's news that you can take with you now let's stand and bow our heads together Father we thank you for your goodness to us we thank you Lord God that you created us this way it's painful, Lord, when we're just living one side of the equation and that pain can be overwhelming and control everything about our life and joy has no chance. Relationships that started off with the Mount Robson beautiful sky view end up, Lord, in raging storms, cut off from one another in the darkness of those storms. Father, we really do need you.
We need you because, Lord, you are the only way that we can have joy and strength and build what is absolutely stunningly beautiful because you take all of this stuff that normally on the canvas would look pretty ugly and you turn it into something rich and deep and beautiful. If, if we'll trust you. Would you give it up right now? You focus on things like I'm not receiving. You focused on hurting. You focused on the problems. And you got relational decay and weakness. You may bear that pain in the silence of that relationship, but I'll tell you right now, that is not what God wants. Trust Him. Give it to Him. Move towards Him. Father, we pray this in Your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.